He, he drew his chair closer to me and he said to me, listen to me very, very carefully. He said, stress will take your vision faster than anything. The cortisol hormone will eat away at your retina at a speed of light if you don't get your head right. He said, so I don't know what you need to do. He said, but go leave here today. I can, there's nothing I can do for you. All you can do is go and get your head right, whatever that takes, get your head right. Welcome to the Mindset for Runners podcast, helping you to access and unlock your true potential as an athlete. Hey, it's Rob here. Welcome to this special episode and interview with Lily Piccolo. Lily is an exceptional cyclist and athlete, a mother of two living with vision impairment. Lily lives an extraordinary life fueled by an extraordinary mindset. She's going to share that mindset with us on this episode. Recently crowned the New South Wales Paracyclist State Champion, along with her tandem pilot, Jay Gaffey, Lily's mission and purpose in life is to inspire and motivate people living with disability and disadvantage to be the best they can possibly be and live their best life. I hope you enjoy this inspirational interview with the amazing Lily Piccolo. So Lily, it's, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for your time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I know, my pleasure to, to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I know you as Lily the Gun Cyclist, who everybody talks about how much power you've got and how mm-hmm. strong you are. And, but cycling hasn't always been a part of your life, has no, it? No, not at all. Um, you know, I rode a bike around, uh, you know, when I was a teenager and prior to vision loss. So the condition I have is a degenerative one that wasn't diagnosed till I was 24 years old. Um, So I I grew up as a regular teenager, you know, getting around a country town on a a little girl's bike, you know, and uh, and whatever kind of mum would pick up from the tip, you know, that would come home and uh, and I'd jump on that and ride to netball training or to school or whatever. So no, I I never, the next time I got on a bike probably when I was at university. and um, again, just to ride to uni, to the gym, to the beach, that sort of thing. Um, little did I know that my vision in the, in the background, my vision was going. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, um, cycling certainly was not a part of my life. Um, um, and now it's very much a part of my life. But, um, yeah, so I'm, just to talk about diagnosis, it was, uh, I was kind of at university living, really living this amazing life. I was becoming a... Um, doing a um, a teaching degree and just we were I was in Newcastle for three years and then Sydney for one um, while I was at university and uh, just we were living at Merriweather Beach and just having the best time ever and you know I I, I remember I, I was out in pubs at night and that sort of thing and people used to laugh that you know oh she can't see anything and she hasn't even had a drink you know and uh, <laughs> you know it's like everyone just thought oh Lily's night blind you know she's just night blind and um, she's funny you know it's all good and um uh, and then, you know, as you do when you're kind of young and, and vanity sets in, <laughs> you know, and it's like, mm, I think I want to get some coloured contact lenses. And uh, it was, oh, yeah, that'd be really cool, you know, brunette with blue eyes. Would you go blue or would you go green? And, you know, so off to, off to the optometrist I went at um, uh, age, well, just, I was almost 24. And uh, he looked into my eyes and... Um, he said, oh, what are you here for? And I said, oh, I'm here for coloured contact lenses. And he sat back and he said, uh, oh, um, okay. Um, and he, uh, he looked in my eyes and he sort of sat back and then he looked again and he was back and forth and um, in and out of the room a little bit and back again. And, 
and he said, look, I, I, um, we need just to put those colour contact lenses aside because uh, um, I'm seeing something on your retina that is, is uh, he may not have used the word concerning me, but certainly it was concerning me that he had seen something on my retina. Um, I said, what is it? And he said, look, I can't be sure and I don't want to make the diagnosis, but I need to send you to a retinal specialist. Um, it's like, oh yeah, I'll get round of it. And he said, no, I really need you to go. Mm. I'll make you the appointment now. Um, and off I went. Um, and, uh, and I was living in uh, the lower North Shore of Sydney at the time. And um, I was in that final year of uni. And uh, I, um, I went into this, this um, ophthalmologist, retinal specialist office and sat down and I remember him taking one look into my eyes, sort of reading the report from the optometrist, looking into my eyes and then leaving the room and, leave, and turning the light off. Um, and I was sat in the pitch black for about 20 minutes. Um, I didn't know what he was doing, but I know now. He was testing my, my night vision, obviously, which is a, a big um, symptom of my condition. And um, he came back to the room, he started moving around and talking to me to try to see if I could track him. Um, I didn't know at the time what he was doing, and I don't know now. Um, and then um, he had another look, asked me a few more questions, and then sat down really close to me, like much closer than you are sitting to me, um, and put his hand on my knee. And I remember thinking, this guy is either hitting on me or he's about to tell me some really bad news. Um, and unfortunately, it was the latter. And then he said to me, um, uh, you've got a condition, a retinal condition that's degenerative that, uh, that is taking your vision. Um, it's called retinitis pigmentosa, and you've probably got five years. Wow. I'm 24, 24 in the prime of my life. I had met the man that I would, 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 I would end up marrying, um, the father of my children, and living, really living a pretty good life, and then I've just been told I'm going blind. Um, what was your vision like leading up to that? I was, I, had, I, I was night blind, there yeah. was no doubt about it. Yeah. I didn't have, I was still driving. Um, I wasn't driving confidently at night. Um, I always struggled at school seeing the blackboard and things, but I just, you know, the, I remember, you know, sort of growing up in the 80s that, you know, the, there wasn't the technology they have now, you know, so they just thought they just couldn't correct my vision past a certain point and I had astigmatism. Mm -hmm. um, so put her at the front of the class or, you know, whatever, I just got through it. Um, so um, it was okay. It was okay. I was functioning absolutely what I would say normally. I just didn't, um, you know, I didn't get around as well at night, but it didn't stop me doing everything that I, that I wanted to do. So I had a choice in that moment, as I said, um, you know, what do I do with this? You know, I was, I was devastated. I was devastated. I didn't, someone's just told you you're going blind. You've got five years till you're living in darkness. Um, I can't even compare that to anything. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it was so devastating. Um, and I got given a, when I walked out of that office, I was given a piece of paper with the number of retina Australia on it. And, um, who was sort of the, you know, I guess the support organisation uh, for people with retinal dystrophy. And um, it was just scrawn on their Retina Australia and a, a landline phone number, no mobile phones back then. And uh, um, I rang it as soon as I got after I completely lost it. So I'm driving down Military Road, I think it was, and, and going home. My husband, come, he was a policeman, so he, he, was, he came off night shift. And um, I've woken him. I'm going blind. I'm going 
going blind, I'm going blind. And he was like, wah, wah, wah. Um, and he, I'm just trying to, and then I have to ring this number and I've rung the wrong number and I've got this, uh, bless her, I've got this lovely lady. And uh, I said, look, I've just been diagnosed with this thing that I can hardly even pronounce. Um, and I've been told I've got five years. And, um, and the next thing I said to her was, are you blind? Um, and, oh no, how old are you and are you blind? And, um, and she said, oh look, often the way the ophthalmologists deliver the news is not great. And no, that's not the case that everyone's blind in five years. And she started to tell me a little bit more about the, the degree of the, the disease and how, you know, there's still people in their 80s and 90s that have residual vision and then there are teenagers that have lost all of it. She said it's a huge spectrum um, and I would suggest you go and, not a second opinion, but go and see, I can give you the name of the top dog in Sydney that, um, that really, really can tell you probably the degree of your thing. Um, so I went and saw him, um, again, lots of testing and all sorts of things going on and uh, um, and he said to me, um, yeah, you have it. There's no doubt about it. He said, you've got, still got a lot of functional vision. Um, and he said to me, um, you know, one thing that really hit home for me, he said, I don't want to see you. It's so slow in its progression that I probably won't want to see you again for five years to see how slowly or fast it's declining. And he turned to me and he said, um, I said, should I have children? Is it genetic? He said, you've got no genetic... Uh, um, it, I got it on some crazy cross-linked, some uh, not gene anom anom anomaly, um, but it it's not that it isn't. It definitely is a genetic thing. Um, but um, he said to me, "I'll never forget the words. Go away and start making memories." Oh. Yeah. Well, wow. so you're 24. You've just been given this deadline that is very real and yeah you mentioned that initial panic and that initial freak out what happened how did you deal with it in uh, the coming months and you know he was obviously talking about visual memories go mm. away and live your life you know live your life create memories don't let it stop you um do it but what i gained from that was don't let it stop you becoming a mum, getting married, chasing your dreams, whatever. I was devastated. So I didn't, I look back at that now and go, wow, what great advice he gave me. But it, it, in that time, I, I was still grieving. And it is, a, it is grief. I, 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 I tell you now, loss of anything in your life is, is, grie is grief. And losing your vision is a form of grief. Um, so I was grieving and it took me a long time. My, my um, husband at the time was... Uh, so incredibly supportive um and he um he said let's do what he said let's get on with it let's get on with it you know and uh i um we did we traveled and we and i i, I worked and i taught and we lived in a um in a indigenous community um the police sent us out there and that was so incredibly rewarding um my vision stabilized um and i would be told that it would go in peaks and troughs and um, a childbirth would, would probably be one of those things that, uh, that, that, uh, that made it, you know, worsen. I wasn't going to give up the opportunity of having children, though, because uh, coming from a big Italian family and just, you know, that was, no, that was a no-brainer that I was going to have kids. And, um, 
and then um, I yeah we went we went to this rural community and I while I was out there an indigenous community at that you know and while I was teaching out there um, I realized you know what you ain't got so bad here you haven't got it so bad um, there are a lot of people doing it tough and you know you you've you, your life's okay, you know, and I, I started to have gratitude for what I had, especially when I saw what people didn't, um, you know, uh, and things like that. So I remember always thinking um, when I lived out in that community how um, important um, it was for me to try and start making a difference. I started teaching children on the spectrum, uh, the autistic spectrum um, and uh, special needs and suddenly this passion has started arising in me. This is what I'm here for. You're still very young, really, mm. to have all these insights and, and yeah, such a diagnosis. I did, and I knew also then that people were drawn to me in some way. Mm. Um, I would have um, elders in the Aboriginal community come and speak to me about their kids. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. People would go, what are, you, what are you doing differently? I said, I'm, I'm giving, excuse my language, but I'm giving a shit about the kids. Mm. That's what I'm doing differently here. Uh, you mentioned something before about the doctor said that childbirth will be one of the things that makes the vision worse. Can you explain yeah, that? Yeah, so, um, so stress and, and the cortisol hormone um, is, uh, as you know, in any, any um, uh, condition, it targets anything vulnerable in your body. So um, right. I, I, I know this now um, because, uh, and just to step forward a bit, the reason why I know this, I didn't know it at, at childbirth, and that's obviously a very stressful thing for you to have to do, but it's all about the cortisol hormone. So when I um, divorced five years ago, and that's when I lost the biggest chunk of my vision and became legally blind, um, uh, uh, the ophthalmologist said to me, who I while I was living in the Highlands, uh, he said to me, what happened? I said, why? And he said, I'd been seeing him for years. And he said, what happened? And I said, why? And he said, you've lost half of the vision in six months, the half of the vision that you had. So say you had 80% left, you just lost 40. And he said to me, what happened? Um, I know, knew him very, very well. And um, he talked to me quite candidly. And he, um, I said, I, I'm divorced. I said, I'm, I'm divorced, and it's, it's, you know, it's been challenging, to say the least. And he pushed, you know, they put that big machine in front mm. of you. So he's talking to me, sort of around that. And I remember him just pushing it aside and drawing his his chair closer to me. What is it with ophthalmologists wanting to get closer? <laughs> but um, he he drew his chair closer to me, and he said to me, "Listen to me very, very carefully." He said, stress will take your vision faster than anything. The cortisol hormone will eat away at your retina at a speed of light if you don't get your head right. He said, so I don't know what you need to do. He said, but go leave here today. I can, there's nothing I can do for you. All you can do is go and get your head right, whatever that takes, get your head right. Um, and I walked out of there going, okay, I've got control over this now. I've got control over this now. I know he can't fix me. This, this is an incurable disease, but 
I know what I need to do to stabilize it now and keep that at bay. So the next day I walked into an old school boys gym in Barrel. These, these guys are pushing sleds and using ropes and as skiers and, you know, this big ballsy bloke, you know, and I've walked in and I said to the owner, I said, can I have a moment of your time? He went, yep. And I said, um, this is what's happened to me. I want you to, I want you to train me like uh, whatever you need to do. I need you to train me to the point where I'm challenged and I'm, and I'm, I'm broken almost because I need to push past what's going on with me because it's hurting me. It's hurting me. It's taking my vision. So I need to get to a point where I feel so incredibly good about myself physically that it's going to have a knock on effect to me mentally. And he sat back and he went, I know exactly what you're talking about. But he said, because I suffer severe anxiety and mental health issues. I was meant to walk into that gym. Wow. I was meant to walk into that yeah. gym. And man, I started training. I lost weight. I felt good. I, I just couldn't wait to get there every single day. And it was a game changer for me. So suddenly exercise and I'd always gone to aerobic classes, that sort of thing. I'd always been active, but nothing like this pushed beyond my limits. And man, did it shift my, my head into the most incredible space. I suddenly became really intentional about everything I do, everything. Um, yeah, so it, it, it had a knock-on effect to friendships, relationships, the relationships with my kids, um, uh, everything. At the same time, I was using a, and I'll happily admit, and I think more people should do it, I was using a psychologist um, to work through the grieving of the vision loss. Um, and she's been incredible. I still speak to her to this day. Um, she talked a lot of me about, about mindset and getting my head right. And she challenged me and she she called me on my, my bullshit when I was speaking it and just, you know, she used to work in the prison system. So she knew. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, that, uh, that's, that's, that's kind of what, what um, so going back to the childbirth, I think that, that's where I lost a chunk, mm -hmm. stabilised. And then I, I got on with having my children and, and doing all that sort of thing and traveling and, and just being a mum and working. And I started through that time working for Vision Australia. Um, and I landed there with Vision Australia because that's where I needed to be. So now I'm starting to think, how can I use this vision impairment for good? Right. Beautiful. Right. I need to know more. So I need <laughs> to know more about you've gone to the, this gym and suddenly you said you were more intentional in life. Mm. So if we go back to working in the Indigenous community, you had a shift of perspective. Yeah. You, you were approached by elders. Obviously, you, you had this wisdom and, and attractiveness about you that people were drawn to you. Then you've gone on with life. You had the two kids. You've gone to the divorce. And then you say... For the first time in my life, I was intentional. Can you talk to me about that mindset shift? Yeah, so I think um, the, mindset sh uh, the mindset shift has come to the fore very recently, actually. Um, so I, so I, I knew while I was working at Vision Australia and I was educating people on, on life with vision impairment, how they can improve their lives, how they could use the NDIS in really creative ways um, to live their best lives, 
I used to present and stand up and use my voice and, and get all this feedback. I worked with volunteers and some incredibly Paralympians. I worked with, I worked with, you know, the, the lowest of the low. I worked with the, everyone and everything in between, children, all that. And I knew I was making a difference there. I knew I was making a difference. So this was, my passion was ignited. It was a fire inside my belly was ignited. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is where I need to be. Um, and I remember one day, there was many, many times where I knew you know, I had clients in tears and and because I could, because I had rapport with them. Um, you know, I was just telling um, Jay the other day, you know, I'd walk into a room with the client sitting there devastated because they're newly diagnosed or whatever. And um, and it's always like, what would you know? You know, in, in comes me, you know, full of life. What would you know? Well, actually, I have a vision impairment. And the shift in them was like, oh, my God, okay, she does know. And then we started working together but I'll never forget I was in the city once doing an NDIS planning meeting for a client she walked in and she was uh, started to tell her story and uh, she lived on the streets of King's Cross she was a jazz she was a jazz singer um, and she wasn't anymore because she hit the skids and um, she was a scatter I think they've ever heard about scatting where they I can't do it but yeah. it's a, um, it's quite an old jazzy type thing and um, she started telling her story, how she'd hit rock bottom and then her vision went. Uh, she couldn't read the music anymore and she could still sing, but suddenly she wasn't getting gigs anymore and all that sort of thing. And I said, then what are your goals? We always talked about goals in the NDIS. Um, she said, I just want to sing again. All right, let's make that happen. And then we started talking about how we could get support workers to get her to gigs. We could talk about assistive technology to, to make the... She didn't, wasn't totally blind. She could still see large print. And let's, let's see how we can use technology to get you in gigs. And let's get you a support worker you, so, to take you to the gigs, to help you navigate. Let's get you a cane, whatever it takes, you know. And ooh, this went on forever. And the planner sitting there just, you know, <laughs> um, just going, okay, this girl's doing my job for me. So <laughs> I'm all good. And she was like so grateful, you know, that, that I was there with this client. And then I call her a client, but you know, she. Um, and we walked out, and um, she stopped. the The lady stopped me, um, not the the planner, the my client stopped me, and she grabbed. Oh look, I I feel a little shaky even talking about this because this is what an impact that it had on me this day. She grabbed me by both my hands, um, and she said to me, and she was she was pretty. Um, she'd seen some life. This 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 lovely woman. She'd seen some life and I uh, can only imagine, you know. And uh, she said to me, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. She was in tears. I was in tears. And she said to me, no one has ever, ever given a, and she used the F word, but I won't. She said, no one has ever given a damn about me like you just did in that room. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh. I just took it. I took a like a, a a a beautiful hit to the heart, like you would not believe, and I just knew this is what I've got to do. I was given a gift. I was given a gift of the gap. I was this voice, right? This is what I was given. Now I have to figure out how to use it outside of this for for bigger. I didn't know what my platform was. I had no idea. Mm. So, um, but I knew I was good at this. I knew. Um, I knew I could change, make change here. 
I had this ability to engage people on all levels, all levels. Um, and, and I just knew, I never quite understood. And I went through a time where, why me? Why me? Why me? Why? Why me? I've got no family history here. Where? Why am I? Why have I? Why has the universe, God, who whoever's guiding me through this journey, give made me lose my vision? I know now why. Because on top of that, I was given a gift. Oh, this is incredibly powerful what you're saying. Um, before we move on to this this gift that you've just given us in this story, can you explain what it's like for that? jazz singer when she gets told you you, you know you, you can't you won't see you again or you, and then she thinks she can't perform and for you when you get given mm. that you've got five years can you take us to that place and what it feels like absolutely you... so I'll, I'll start with with me and then i'll compare it to hers which are very similar parallel things we both would have been feeling in that moment um and i didn't mention but what i did at university was art teaching <laughs> so vision I was doing visual arts backed on with an, a, a bachelor of education wow. in visual arts wow. my what I did for my my what I had hoped to do for my career needed vision right and that's ripped away from me and it was like what the yeah. what it clearly wasn't the path. At the time, I didn't know, but it, it wasn't the path. I still love art and I surround myself with beautiful things and all that sort of thing, but it's a, such a cruel irony, such a cruel irony. And I, so when I, to answer your question about how I felt, I was angry as hell. Yeah. I was angry, man. I was yeah. angry. Yeah. I was angry. I, you've taken something from mm. me that I love, mm. but it was replaced with, it just clearly wasn't my journey. It just so happened that that's what I chose to do. Having said that, there's still ways I, I use that. I still taught, I still taught art. As while I had the vision, I still did as long as I possibly could. Um, but, uh, so to, to, as the parallel to that lady, um, so when you were given a gift of a voice, a singing voice, and that's all you know, that's all you know, and suddenly you were diagnosed with a vision impairment that at the time what she thought was, had ended her career, and it did. She wasn't getting gigs anymore. She wasn't, so she was devastated. She had no money. Yeah. She wasn't, she wasn't getting gigs. She lost her, she, she had nowhere to live. She was living on the streets. She was there. And the only reason why she ended up in that office that day is because she was at a refuge one day uh, where they go to get meals. And there was a care worker, um, a social worker there who, um, who said, um, have you heard of the NDIS? And of course she hadn't right, we're going to put you in contact with Vision Australia. And it was actually the support worker or the social worker who contacted Vision Australia straight on to me. And then she came on to my, on to my, but that I, I, you, you go to a place of almost desperation because you don't know what, what, you know, what, what is life going to look like now? 
how I still have days where I can't imagine what it would be like living in the dark, Rob. You know, especially when you love things of beauty so, so much. But I learnt then, I learnt that there were so many other ways of experiencing life without vision and I learnt that from other people with vision impairment. So I started to surround myself with communities of people and clients and friends and you know support networks of people with vision impairment and I started seeing some extraordinary extraordinary and meeting some extraordinary people doing extraordinary things with no vision amazing yeah so I I needed to be I needed to stop hiding when I say hiding I was a pretender in what way I would pretend that I could see right I don't Still to this day, people will say to me when I'm with Tilly, my dog, are you training her? And for a long, there were times, and I'll admit it, and I'm ashamed to say, but I'd say, yeah, I am actually, just so I didn't have to go into my story. Um, I would pretend that I was sighted, like my peers, my colleagues, whatever, because I didn't want to be labelled. Hey, now, you brand me as much as you like, because if this is, this, that was silly. I had to, I had to, to, to do those silly things, those, those things that to make me realise that, that, that that's not serving me in any way. That's not serving me in any way to pretend I can see, you know. Mm. Um, so, um, but you, anyone with a vision of a man will say they've had those days. They've had those days. And what's the shift to, to being the pretender to owning it and... I realised I needed to own it yeah. to enable me to move forward with my journey. I had to own it. I had to own it. Um, I, I, I think when I really realised that I can um, take this somewhere as a, a career or, or a passion for, for wanting to help others, I had to own it. Mm. I had to disclose, I had to, this is me and this is who I am. I am a woman living or a person living with vision impairment. Mm. I'm not saying that I want to be stereotyped as that and I'm not saying that mm. I want to be labelled and I'm not saying that I'm to, you know, completely different from anyone else. But I have to own it yeah. because if I don't own it, then how can I possibly help others with vision impairment if I'm not being truthful to myself? I have a bit of a mantra that is different, not less. People with disability are no less than anyone else. We just do things differently. Um, and, and that's kind of, I'm not different, I just do things differently um, in the way I live my life. So that, that was, there was a real shift there um, in um, owning the disability, owning yeah. my vision impairment. Um, but on the other side of that, still being able to not be stereotyped as someone with vision impairment, um, but yes, I have it, but I still can be, a, 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 and I, I work a lot with women around this, you can still be attractive, you can still be engaging, you can still be, wear nice clothes, you can put makeup on, you can do your hair, do your nails and all that sort of stuff. There's just a different way we do that. And they go, really, how? Let's, okay, let's, let's talk about looking good, okay? You use an occupational therapist to help you to 
new skills to put makeup on you use um you know you use support workers to perhaps get you to your appointments you 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 know there's there's so many different things that that you do so they say i can't do that anymore and i say let me show you how you can do that yeah so um and and that you know obviously then takes me to to what I'm doing now in the cycling. I've so, got 10 yeah. questions before we go to the cycling <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, w- I want to take you back to the desperate, the desperation and you were that hand in the dark for her, for, for example, mm. to, to Jay Singer. Yeah. And, and the people that you found, they, they were the guides for you, the, the vision impaired people who said, look what we're doing with our lives. Mm. And, and that's, it's, when you're talking about it, it's this recreation of yourself from literally the 24-year-old to the teacher in the outback. But, but you, your acceptance of it has allowed you to create this whole new life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, um, I was asked the question the other day, do you think you'd be living this life if you were sighted? absolutely not I wouldn't I wouldn't I because I'd just be like anyone else that wants a platform to speak to motivate people Mm. I wouldn't have the gift of the vision impairment to enable me to help other people with vision impairment or disability or disadvantage because I have lived experience and that's the key same as when you picked up the phone the first time to Vision Australia and you said, how old are you and are you blind? Mm. You, so that, that anger, that first anger, that desperation, and then to now owning it, not more than accepting it, loving it. See, so you, you describe it as a gift. It's like you, you're able to, Lily 2.0 is this huge, <laughs> like more expression than the previous one, more intentional life. I think it it also makes people listen. It, it makes people sit up and go, wow, she's not just a chick that can talk a lot <laughs> and engage people. She's kind of like all that, but then she's doing all that stuff on the bike and has the dreams of going there. She's getting on a paddle board. She got vision I'm so just to give you the idea Please of what do. I see through, I'd love to hear I see through so you've got oh, most people with with the regular vision a uh, regular vision that's probably not the right way to say it but um, normal vision um, have 180 degrees hmm. okay so we go from there to there 180 degrees we don't see 360 we see 180 so they have their peripheral vision and then it comes into their central vision my peripherals completely gone I now come down to 10 degrees 10 degrees 10 degrees so you know, 10 degrees, 10%, what you, when you call it, we call it 10 degrees in the vision world. Um, less than 10 degrees is legally blind. Okay. So less than 10 degrees of peripheral, peripheral. vision. I am very blessed that my cent- that 10 degrees through the center has function in it. And that means I can move around a familiar environment. Um, it, it, it does it still gives me you know um, you know you saw today I had to use a piece of it technology to pour the, the thing and I didn't even get that right but um, <laughs> to pour the hot water but um, so I it, it that it's even though it's functional it still has its limitation but I can still see to some extent through that that limited amount of vision so it's looking through a tunnel it's looking through a pinhole almost but a little bit more than a pinhole Amazing. but it's 
I mean, I can see you sitting here. Yeah. I couldn't tell you the colour of your eyes, but I, I can certainly see, um, you know, your silhouette and, um, yeah. and features, some features and that sort of thing. Um, take me into the dark, forget it, I've, I've gone. I okay. might as well be blind. So that's what I see. Um, Thank you for explaining that. No, no, that yeah. was probably relevant. Yeah. Um, relevant. So as the, the disease has been taking my vision, it's taking it from the outside in. Gotcha. Um, that could, and I never ever entertain it, um, you know, because I live in the hope and you've seen the other tattoo on my arm, which is the hope one. Um, but uh, I hope that that, that that doesn't, it doesn't go any further. And, you know, I, I really, truly, honestly believe, with hope we need belief, um, that there will one day come a time um, that, and I, I have had the genetic testing and they've found my anomaly, um, and I have been told that, you know, Lily, there's, there's hope. Yes. We found out what your spelling error is in your DNA. That's what, how they, in the layman's terms, yeah. use it. Um, and now we've found it. We just need to find treatment for it. So um, what I do with that around mindset is I don't wait for the phone call every day to say that they found a cure for my... What I do is I sit that in what I call my God box. There's nothing I can do about that. There's hope now. It's now up to those amazing scientists and, and, and funding and whatever else to enable that to become reality. But I have no control over that now. So that sits in my God box. It sits in my, my that's out of my control, but I leave that out there because, but I believe, I still believe that that will happen one day. But I know now I've got work to do. They're not going to give me my vision back. I don't think I'm going to get my vision back until I've done my work. And I haven't done my work. I'm getting there. Um, but I haven't done my work yet. I've got work to do. I've got people to help. I've got people to motivate. If I get my vision back, there goes my platform. Unbelievable. <laughs> you know? Unbelievable. You might... Before we move on to that, can you explain? You just mentioned the tattoo on your left arm. Yeah. And you're yeah. showing me now it says hope. Yeah. 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 And on your right arm. Yeah. Believe. Can you yeah. explain a bit about? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I did going back to the um, going back to one day at work at Vision Australia. One of the orthoptists and uh, an orthoptist is someone who um, it does a lot of vision testing and then suggests technology and things that can help you use your residual vision, uh, your functional vision. Um, that's what an orthoptist does. And I, the one at Vision Australia, we, we were good friends. Are good friends. Um, and he. Um, he came and sat down next to me one day at my desk and he said, have you heard the news? And I said, oh, what news? And he said, he said, um, they found RPE65 is a, uh, a genetic anomaly that they found a cure for. Um, and they're restoring vision in um, a very small um, cohort of, of, of retinal retinitis pigmentosa. Um, so... Um, he didn't say hope then he just but he turned to me and he said you know how you've always wanted to we've always talked cars and uh i've always wanted a mustang and um he said you'll drive that mustang one day lil and then he just walked away wow. and i went yeah okay i said like, what do i need to do he said you need to ring the you need to get on the registry you need to do you need to do the testing fast forward to i got um uh, i got a call from uh the westmead um uh, Sydney Eye Hospital, sorry. He works out of Westmead as well. Professor John Grigg, one of the top dog retinal specialists in um, in Australia, are doing incredible work with genetic testing and, and uh, 
um, and yeah, you know, curing blindness basically. Um, and um, uh, and I finally, after many weeks, got an appointment with him. He had a massive long waiting list. Um, my and talk about the universe working in your favour. I had to get a referral from my ophthalmologist in Barrel to him. They happened, just happened to go to university together. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I am not sure if that made any, but I did get the call to say, um, you know, you've been referred by Dr. Macken and, um, you know, he wants to see you. And it was during COVID. So we did a telehealth. Um, and I remember him uh, talking about the genetic testing. This is what we're doing. We've got... 16 year olds driving again seeing stars in the night sky and it's funny he referenced those two things because the two things i miss the most are driving and seeing stars in the night sky um anyways he talked all about that and he said right you need to go and get your blood taken and then we're going to do the testing um there's an 80 percent chance that we will find it and a 20 percent chance we won't find the anomaly in your dna if we don't find it game game over if we find it we, we just may be able to find treatment for it. Um, and then um, right at the end of the meeting, you got any questions, da, da, da. I said, no, you know, what do I use? You need to call back the clinic and they'll get you in. Well, it's literally taking blood out of your arm and into, a, and then they go and do whatever they need to do with it. And, uh, and he said, oh, before I go, he just looked at me and I could see enough to, see, to make eye contact with him on the screen. And he said, uh, Lily, there's hope. There's hope. And then within a couple of weeks, I went and got that tattoo on my arm. And I showed my sister. um, uh, Actually, I I put a a post on my Facebook, actually, that uh, sort of, again, a part of the journey of me disclosing. So I I put this, for those of you who don't know, you know, I suffer from a rare um, vision condition, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. The the story today I met with it and, and finally there's hope and I had a picture of the tattoo and my sister rang me almost immediately and she said, Lil, you cannot have hope without belief. You need to believe it's going to happen. And then the belief tattoo went on the other arm. <laughs> so now when I'm having a shitty day um, and I'd have bad vision days, you know, I have bad vision days and I have days where I'm bumping into things or I'm falling over or I'm just, I'm, I'm missing seeing things. Then I'll just give that a little rub and, and go, there's hope. Um, and then um, and then the belief is that there's hope, but the belief is, um, is again, you know, putting it in, in, your, in, your, in your, your God box, um, you know, and going... I do have a belief that that will happen one day. Um, and then, you know, so, uh, you know, I have, uh, I have, you know, hopes or dreams and then belief. And then the next part of that puzzle is achieve because it's all good and well for me to go, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do all this stuff, but you've got to do the work. Mm. And that's, uh, and that's kind of, you know, when I talk about the cycling stuff, is the work. You are doing the work. Can you, <laughs> can you take us to how you first got on a bike and yeah, what's happened yeah, since then? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, this is where it all gets very exciting for me, actually, and where certain things, like I'm a true believer, I'm, I'm, I'm a spiritual person, I, I'm not, I, you know, I, I, I don't uh, advocate for any sort of religion or anything like that, don't get me wrong, but I, I do believe in some way we're guided in this journey in life. I, I truly, honestly believe that. I, I, I don't know 
how, and I don't want to know how, I just know we are. Uh, you know, I'm sure, Rob, there's a reason why you became a firefighter. There's a reason why you run. There's a reason why you give back to the children. It, 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 and knowing you almost immediately, as soon as I, I met you, I went, yeah, 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 now I know, I know. Um, this guy's incredible, you know, engaging and just, just I could just tell, you know. Um, so I, um, I decided to make a sea change to... Uh, to Shell Harbour and when my kids um, uh, moved on to do what they're doing with their lives. Um, so um, my kids are 23 and 20. Um, uh, Ethan went off to the army and my daughter Eliza works um, uh, for Gay Waterhouse, a horse, a horse trainer. She's always been a rider. So they're, they're kind of both doing pretty special things with their lives. And when I knew that my job, not that my job was over, but you know what it's like as a parent and you will know as they get older, once they're, they're on their way, oh gosh, that feeling, that feeling that they found something. I'm not saying that they didn't have their struggles getting there, but they did. So I was able to finally go, okay, that, that my, my job as a mum isn't over, but they're on their way here and I will always be for, their, for them and whatever they need and still am to this day. Of course I am, but it was my time. It was my time and I thought I, I, I needed now to to get, I don't want to say selfish, but I needed now to get intentional. I need to get intentional. What does the next chapter look like? What am I doing here? What am I doing now? Okay, I've, I've got a, a pretty good job and I've, I've reconciled with a, my, my marriage of 20 years breaking down and, and, and I'd, I'd felt physically, physically fit. And I, I felt, um, not like I do now, but, but certainly <laughs> I was on my way. Um, uh, and I was, my head was good. I was ready. I was ready to make a big change in my life. I moved to Shell Harbour um, and it was in a relationship with someone here and that was kind of... Um, I'm not still with that person, but I, when I look back to why I met that person, I know now it's to get me here. I had to be here and that got me here. Um, and so I arrived here and um, I didn't know anyone. I had no friends here, just the person I was seeing and... Uh, I, I was I was commuting back and forth from Sydney to work, and I, I, it was this was just kind of day to day, and I was like, well, I, I need to be doing something, I need to be active. I started walking, and I was loving all of that. I was loving living on the coast. Um, COVID hit, um, and gave me a lot of time to think about things. I I started to really um, want to get fitter and fitter so I, I did get a, a lot more fit through that time and then I heard um, I remember I was at a conference through work in Melbourne and someone had said to me someone had, was speaking about you know enriching their lives um, and doing you know in a physical way and someone talked about tandem bike riding and I remember asking the question of the presenter where are you doing that? Where is that? And they said, there's this group on the south coast of New South in the Illawarra called Excite Tandems. You need to get in contact with them. And I went, okay. And I, that just sat back with me until I moved here and went, that's, now I need to get in contact with them. Um, so I rang um, Jeff Stratton, who, who uh, is the head of Excite. And, uh, and they, so just to to, so for people that don't know, it's a comp completely volunteer-run organisation. So these beautiful, beautiful people—they call them captains. So in the in my world, it's they're called pilots. But you know, 
captains, mm. pilots, they're the person on the front of the bike. So they're taking time out. A lot of them are retirees, taking time out of their, you know, in their retirement. And not all retirees, but, you know, um, most, to enable people with vision impairment to get back on a bike. So I got on the, my boat. So um, uh, my first captain came and he picked me up and on, on Red Rocket, which was his tandem. Uh, it was an e-tandem, by the way. So it had a motor, a, a battery on it. I'd never seen it, <laughs> that before, but it made it a whole lot easier. I wonder if that was intentional. <laughs> I wonder if that was intentional because maybe I wouldn't have liked it so much if I had to work really hard. Anyway, I, I had no kit on. I had, I had sneakers. They had to put flat pedals on it. I had, a, I don't know, a pair of leggings and a T-shirt. And on I got 10 kilometres around Shell Harbour and went, oh, is okay but oh I'm a bit sore you know <laughs> I don't know um you know I thought and he was sort of talking about you know nicks and things which I knew nothing about he said do you think you'd like to do this again I said yeah I really would I really would and uh and then so we went longer and longer and longer and then we went up to fig tree where excite um is at, um where all the bikes are kept and um I I tried a few different bikes and a few different captains and um and loved it and, and just thought this is something I love being out and I, I just, it's actually, you know, I, I was, I, I took to it like a fish to water. I really did. I didn't, uh, um, and then I was convinced to get some, some cleats and some shoes um, so I could ride more efficiently. Um, never heard any of this stuff before, ever. Um, and then, oh, I don't know, what if I can't unclip and I fall off and, you know, <laughs> all that sort of stuff was happening. Anyway, so I was riding, still in my sneakers and flat pedals for, oh, it must have been six months. And, uh, and then um, I, I'll never forget the day. Well, I've got a phone call first um, from Jeff and he said, um, look, we've got a, um, I've got a new captain for you, um, a pilot for you, um, female. I went, great. I hadn't ridden with a female before. It's predominantly men. And, um, and, uh, and I went, oh, okay. And, and he said, oh, I won't tell you too much about, about her, but you know, I, she's, she's joined the, as a pilot and you know, I think she'd be a good match for you. And I went, okay, no worries. When's she coming? And was, I can't remember. It might've been a Tuesday. I can't remember. And, um, as she was picking me up here, we were driving to pick up the tandem in Fig Tree and then go for the ride with the rest of the mob. And um, I'll, I, I'm smiling at the moment um, because I'll never forget this tall, blonde Amazonian beauty bounding across my um, front lawn. And you know how I'm talking about in the beautiful Jay Gaffey. Um, and, uh, and I looked up, six foot one, for those of you who don't know her, um, and just thinking, oh God, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and one of the fish, so beautiful embrace. Hi, I'm Jay. Yeah, Lily, great. And I remember she, not in a bad way, looked me up and down and went, we're going to get you some kit. <laughs> and I remember thinking, kit, what, huh? And, uh, and then we chat to chat all the way to Fig Tree, jumped on a bike, and we literally did not stop talking for that entire ride. We just gelled like that. And the way she became um, a pilot was um, because um, uh, uh, John DeMandel, who's a, um, a blind triathlete, um, had been connected with her at an event and she needed to learn to ride a tandem. So I was kind of her practice, her practice stoker. And the person on the back is called a stoker. And I was the practice one, you know, but um, so 
kind of sort of long story short, it wasn't long until I was uh, I, I, I was forewarned that you would be getting asked this question, Lil. And it, well, what would that be? Do you want to do a triathlon? <laughs> it was like, what? <laughs> You're really good at this. Do you want to do a triathlon? <laughs> it's like that involves me swimming and running. So, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so um, we that's how I started. And it was, uh, and I'll happily sing her praises, but I, her belief in me, the motivation she gave me, the connection she gave me with a bunch of, beautiful women who ride every Friday and um, and I'm happy to say that I'm friends with, with most of them now and um, she she started to connect me into a world um, that um, I had never experienced before into the the Kayama Triathlon Club who were so accepting of me and they were at a point Jeff um, uh, Jeff uh, the president of the club um, he was at a point where he wanted to bring inclusion in, you know, inclusion into the club. So John was the first one, you know, John mm-hmm. being the blind triathlete, and he was Lily bounced along and thought, oh, he had now we have someone else, and um, so and then I just started to build rapport with him and other people, um, and realised that let's let's go down this road of inclusivity in the club, um, in, and and see where this can go, and so. It started from that, that's where it was born, and then I, I did a community ride with the group, and then um, at the time of the UCI I was on, again, my this fire is this fire is just keep, keeps getting keep getting flamed. Uh, what do they call it? Fanned, right? This flame inside me is getting fanned and fanned every time I get on the bike, every time I met anyone new, any any time I, I was at these events, I got interviewed by the radio. Um, at the at the community ride because there was a bunch of tandems and you know they wanted to know what what was that all about so I just started speaking as I do about different not less and how you know and inclusion and how you know uh, important it was for someone as a person with a disability being able to be part of this you know um, again you know all of this and I call it passion you know, it, it, this is just building up and building up and building up. And then I um, I did my first triathlon, the Wollongong Tri with Jay. Man, that was, uh, that, was, that was tough. That was tough. I hadn't done a lot of training coming into that. I knew I could smash the bike, and which, we, which we did. But I'd never swum in the open water before in a competition. Um, and I remember I, I was standing on the beach with Jay and I burst into tears. And I said, I can't begin to tell you she had her arm around me this is for me someone with no vision to be tethered to you in the ocean this incredible you know uh, ultra woman you know in the ocean about to do a swim then jump on a bike and then try and run and to do this as a person with vision impairment you know this is not only huge for me but huge for her and I and I, I and I'm so incredibly grateful for someone who is so incredibly selfless to to guide and pilot someone with vision impairment at the expense of them competing um you know so uh the, the, again all this is just is just firing me up and i i wanted to keep going yeah so 
All right, this is okay. This story just gets better. And better. <laughs> Can you explain what it's like? You're the stoker, so mm. you sit at the back. The yeah. pilot sits at the front. Mm. That would be terrifying for me. So you have to put <laughs> all of your trust in the pilot to do what they tell you to just. Can you tell us about that relationship between pilot and student? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you have to be in complete synchronicity with them. You are you. People don't realise that's not two separate. That we're connected. So when she's turning, I'm turning at the same cadence as mm. her. So we're connected. So we've got to be matched in in um, I guess ability. Um, she can override me. I can override her. So we don't want that. We want a synchronicity. We want to be both. You know, um, the the stoker um, is the power, is the engine, and she's my eye, she's my navigator. But at the same time, we're both working really hard. People have this misconception that the stoker's not working. We're working really hard. Um, so we, um, it, it's it's you have to be like almost like one when you're on there. Jay's extraordinary communicating to me so she's constantly telling me even though I've got some vision I have a little advantage in that I can see if a hill's coming up or whatever but you've got to be in tune with what she's doing with those gears when we're about to launch you know into a into a into a um, climb or descent or whatever the case may be I've got to ease off if I put too much pressure on I can drop a chain you know it's got to be she's constantly ease off you know, dig in, whatever. And it's when we did the Port Stephens 100 kilometres, um, which we came fourth female in and ninth, tenth overall, or would have been ninth if we weren't being drafted by Sneaky Pete. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, uh, the whole time she's talking to me. Yeah. She's talking to me. So we've got to, you're a team. You really are a team. Um, and it's very, very important that the communication's there that, and I do trust her. I've never ever, the first time I ever got on a bike with her, I trusted her. I trusted her. She's, um, you know, I, I knew I was safe on the back. Um, and and I've, I've just built skill um, around the way I ride um, with Let, her. Let's talk about that. You're getting, so just to give perspective to people listening, Jay mm. Gaffey is an exceptional cyclist and triathlete, multiple Ironman finisher, yeah. winner of Ultraman Australia last year, 2022. A very accomplished cyclist, extremely strong. And here's Lily who used to ride a bike as a teenager and now is jumping on the back of a bike. Yeah. And you're, you had to have this incredible exponential increase in your fitness to be able to even... Oh, absolutely. And you. it was probably one of my worst... My, my, you know, the the fear that was at my fore, the forefront of my mind was, am I good enough for this? Am I good enough for this extraordinary athlete that's in front of me? But she never, ever, ever made me feel less than. She knew I had the ability, but she she coached me in a way, um, or inspired me in a way, and informed me of what I needed to do to get there. Um, what I needed to do, what I needed to work on and all that sort of thing to become um, good enough. Um, and when we were, uh, we did a, our first time trial at Ramwick on a crit track. Um, it was a, one of the first, well, the first race we ever did together. Um, her, it was a learning experience for both of us because she'd never raced on a tandem before, especially around a crit track. So what's um, a crit track? 
A quick track is a, a criterium, so you're going around a um, like a a loop, but it's got hills and but you know, um, you know peaks and troughs and all sorts of things going on in it. So um, a criterion track, it's a yep. it's enclosed sort of. It's not a it's not inside a velodrome by any means. It's an outdoor track. Um, so, but you the whole idea of those is you go fast on them, and they're almost like a you know the the more you can fang around them the the faster you can get around them, you know. And we will be watching, watch for our time there because it was an Oz cycling event. So they just want to see these new two kids on the block, mm. see how these, these chicks are going. And there there was um, um, two other um, para teams there, um, and one tandem team, one guy on a trike, um, both competed at world level, and they were extraordinary. They let us follow them around the track, gave Jay and me lots of advice. Mm. Um, and they... Um, uh, you know, the, he I remember the stoker um, saying to me, um, "What what advice can you give me?" And he said, "You're the engine. You're the power." He said, "You're the power. That's your job. Jay's job is to navigate you around, be your eyes, and all that sort of thing. And she has to be powerful too. But you're the power. You, you you're very important. You know, because that's in in competition. You're the athlete." She's your pilot, she's mm. your guide, but you're the athlete, gotcha. even though she's an athlete as well. But I've never looked at it like that. I've always seen Jay and I as a team. Yeah. So when we're competing, I think, well, we are, not just me, we are competing. Um, so um, extraordinary amount of trust, um, definitely, in between Jay and I. So I, so I, I then realised, I think, after I did... So I was getting feedback from Jay. I was getting feedback from other people, that other captains, the world of pilots I was riding with Excite saying people telling me you, you you you're good at this you're strong you're strong um i think it's time to get a coach i think it's time to to step this up and i went okay what is this what do i need to to do here what do i need what does this look like um you know first where do i want to take it you know what do, how do i want to what what do i want this to look like do i just want to be strong and go in a few you know, try aquabikes or tries or, or a few or cycling events, or do I actually want to take this somewhere? And I don't, I can't exactly, it may have been, actually, it probably was after that event in um, Randwick where um, the guy on the trike who's a Paralympian um, had said to, um pretty sure he's a Paralympian, uh, anyway, he had said to, he turned to us at the end. He said, uh, "See you at nationals, girls." And I, I went, and I remember on the way home, Jay, you think we we could? What do you, you reckon we? You know, she's like, can't see why not. She's you know, as you know, she is so inspiring. So she was, uh, yeah, hell yeah, let's do this, Lil. Let's do this. Let's see where we can take this. Um, so how blessed am I to have an extraordinarily gifted ultra woman who has achieved so much in her sporting career sitting in front of me on that bike could I be more blessed we have been told by someone in the game who is also a male pilot competed at world level Lil Jay is probably one of the best pilots in Australia right now mm. and you guys haven't even haven't even got on the platform you know not even kind of out there yet but trust me you're being watched now. Because um, you can't tell me that they're not Googling her to find out who she is, right? <laughs> they're Googling me and finding nothing. But <laughs> so, um, so already I'm, I'm, I'm a, a little ahead of the game. So 
I've got work to do now. Okay, let me get good. What do I need to do? Here's what you need to do from a logistics point of view. I need to get a trainer. So for those um, that can't see me right now, I'm looking and pointing across to a $6,500 piece of equipment um, that's the Wahoo Kicker Smart Bike latest version of. Um, and um, I spend a lot of my life on that. So that's a crucial part of, of my training. Um, I... Uh, I had to, so that had to build my aerobic engine, it had to give me skills, it had to put me through all sorts of crazy workouts um, that the coach puts in there for me and, and, you know, and I, it got me fit and strong and powerful um, and that, you know, that piece of equipment has been a, a game changer and such a big part of, of um, me being, a, and the reason why I have to use it is because I'm vision impaired. I just can't go out on a bike and train, right? Of course. So I, yeah. um, so that's, that's, yeah. um, and then of course I, I thought, okay, well, I've got that now. What else do I need? So um, in came um, a coach, a nutritionist, a physiotherapist, um, uh, um, a support network, um, you know, of, of, of friends and fellow athletes and people that's probably excited to give me the, the the rides I need out on the bike. Jay obviously to give me um, and and I am blessed to have use of a an ex a John DeMandel's bike which was um, his race bike. So this bike I'm on now which we, we fondly call Snowy because it's white um, has been our race bike. Um, until I get mine, which is being built in the States as we speak. So um, uh, I had to, I go, oh, okay, I've got all the tools now. I've got all the tools. So now I just need to, I can, I can get whatever I say, often say to the coach, tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. I'll get as fit as I can. I'll get as fast as I can and get as strong as I can. But I had to get out of my head. Tell me about that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we should probably talk about that. This is a mind, my mindset podcast. Um, I went through that those first few months of, of this journey, and, and I'll just say that I this only started in January. <laughs> this, so a lot's happened in, in six, seven months. Um, Extraordinary. Yeah, right? so um, that's when it started. Like, I've been on the bike, obviously, beforehand, but for, as it, from a trying to do this professionally mm. uh, or getting to a, a competition level. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, six months, six months. Um, but self-doubt crept in every time I failed on a kicker session, every time I couldn't push the power, every time I looked at Strava and saw all this incredible stuff everyone else was doing. Um, How did the self-doubt present itself? I, I would cry. Um, I would get off the bike and just fall into a slump and go, what are you doing, Leo? Well, who, who do you think you're kidding? Really, I mean, you know, um, am I ever going to cut it with, with the women that are out there doing this um, at an elite level or trying to make, um, you know, and I had given myself, a, rightly or wrongly, I'd given myself a very lofty target um, of making the 2028 Paralympics. Um, and I I regretted ever saying that um, because I, I, I used to question, should you have started that high? Why not just go 
from this, the next event to the next event to the next event. And I, I still have that very lofty target there, but now I've learned that that's, it's really now about the journey there and each step of the way. Two weeks time we, we compete at state. It's the first big one, mm. the first big, big one where Paralympic talent coaches will be going, okay, let's see how quick they are. Let's see how fast these girls can do the time trial. Um, and I, I was, I, I nearly gave up. Um, I had a, um, I, I just, you know, I, I did, I just had self-doubt. I would, I would get in slumps and that's probably the best way to put it where I'd, I'd get teary and, and just doubt myself compare myself to other people um start to think about age you know and I I don't know why isn't it extraordinary that I'm worried about the age before I'm worried about the disability (laughs) um and um and the fear of failure I guess and not not being able to do this um putting myself out there you know people are watching what I'm doing um uh, but I I don't do that anymore. What gets you back on there? What, what, um, how did you overcome that? I think I think I started to believe. I started to stop looking at the end game, mm. um, and I started to visualize. So I'm a massive um, visualizer, and other people might call it different things, but I. I started to, whether while I was in either on a kicker session or out on the bike or training with Jay or wherever, or going for a walk or on my paddleboard or whatever else I was doing, I started to visualize, um, visualize where I wanted to be. And, and I can only put that as starting to see. So how can I explain this? I, I, um, so what I do is I see myself um, for an example, post-event, so post-event, I see myself, I see us screaming over the finish line, I hear the crowd, I imagine and actually f- physically feel the embrace that I will be giving Jay at the end of that race, that post-race celebration, I visualise it, I visualise it and when I do it, I'm either smiling or I'm in tears, um, I, 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 I motivate myself with with quite inspirational music or podcasts or whatever of people that that are are, are talking about that visualization and you one of your podcasts you talk about that french rugby team going into that second half going oh we've already won this yeah we've already won this so now i go in to every kicker session going it's just a kicker session it's just one session Great. you don't get that hour back yeah. so give it give it your best crack and then within that session it's Interval by interval, that's a three-minute interval. Just get through it, Lil. Put on a good mute. Good. Put on a good song. Get through that three minutes. All right, you get a rest now. Mm-hmm. Let's do the next one. Let's do the next one. Oh, we're done. Mm-hmm. All right, that's that. I don't think about that session anymore. It's done. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do remember. And the coach said to me, every single one of these sessions, is is teaching you something, making you stronger. You, you'll look at that and go, why? Why do I need to be pushing two hundred and thirty-six? What's my FTP isn't anywhere near that, but. I know why. It's to make me stronger. Low cadence. I'm a spinner. I want to go fast, right? He slowed me right down. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why we want you at low cadence. It's making you powerful up the hills, right? And all that. And um, Mm. 
So I'm a massive visualizer. I, I, I see myself, I, I not only see myself succeeding and what that looks like, what that feels like, what that smells like, what that tastes like, all of that sort of stuff. I see myself in that. I physically see it, but not just in a, in a picture, but a feeling, what that feels like. Um, it's, it's that joy, that, that elation that you feel, you know, Rob, when you've come over finish lines, you know what that feels like. So it could, I could liken it, not that I've ever run, but to, to going, you know, I'm just going to get to the next town. And that's going to feel amazing when I get there because I'm going to be surrounded by all those people. And it's just going to be such an amazing feeling. Your crew and everyone's going to be around you and it's just going to be so awesome. That's how I feel when I, when I, when I visualize this stuff. And then I'll draw on how we felt at the end of the, the hundred that we did in Port Stephens, how we felt at the end of the time trial, how, how I felt when I climbed Ball Hill with Ball Dan. Hill with that, Dan yeah. and never, ever thought I could do that and got to the top of that hill and just went, oh, Look at what we just did, you know, and so I draw on mm. those feelings, um, and I, I, I do. It just gets my head in such a, a beautiful space, and it reaffirms to me, this is what I love. This is what I'm passionate about, and this is what I have to do. This is necessary for me to go where I need to go. Whatever goals I reach in this journey will get me to my platform uh, and now I look back and go why has this all happened to me why have I fallen along the way why have I suffered adversity along the way why have I've, I've lost people in my life Rob people that I don't want to say didn't serve me but the doubters the, the people I, I don't know if it's ever happened to you but people will start dropping off and you it's it's I heard so I read something the other day about Sometimes you're separated to make you work on yourself. You're separated. Mm. You're put in, you, you're almost made to sit alone in something just to, to work on yourself, you know. And I know now why I was separated from certain people in my life. Because I, I don't like to use the word serve, but there was, there was no benefit for keeping someone who was going to doubt me. And tell me, oh, what? and Rob, I've heard it more than once. Too blind, not fit enough, not blind enough. Um, or, you know, on the opposite side of that, um, you know, you don't look blind, not fit enough, too old. You know, yada, keep, that keeps going. It's like, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. Um, and I said to Jay um, the other day, it was my FU moment. When people say that to me, it's my FU moment, that, you know, without saying the F four letter word. Um, let me show you. Wow. You know? It, let me show you. Let me show you. Let me show you. Okay. You know, F you, mm. watch me. And this is my watch me. Yeah. Watch me. Um, and I, I have belief, and I'm rubbing my tattoo, mm. I have belief that whatever it ends up being, it's going to be enough to, for me then to go, I've just built my platform. I'm now, I'm standing on it. It's time to serve. It's time to go out and inspire other people, not to get on bikes and try and do crazy things like I do, but to do whatever they want to do. What, 
whatever they want to do. Um, Tell me more about that. Okay, so I, I also visualise me standing on stage. On a stage, I see myself surrounded. It doesn't have to be a stage. Sometimes it could be that I'm sitting in a classroom surrounded by teens that are, mm. can't, that are not quite sure where they're going to go in their lives. It might be in a disability organisation. It might be in a place of disadvantage. It might be in a, in a homeless refuge. Wherever that is, I, I'm, I'm sitting there with them, with them. I'm not talking at them. I'm talking with them about their dreams. I want to hear what they want to do. Whether I'm talking to someone one-on-one or in a group or wherever I am in a classroom. Um, and the, going back to the teaching thing, that's why I became a teacher, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, and, um, uh, and then I want to... They will have that self-doubt. But, but how can I do that? But how can I get there? And, and I just want to find out what the goal is and then go, let's, let's see how you can get there. I didn't think I would be able to do what I'm doing now in a million years. But then I was able to chunk it out in steps. What did I need to do to get there? I didn't instantly think, I'm going to have to buy a trainer, I'm going to have to do all that. I didn't know any of that. I didn't even know what cleats were. I didn't even know what cycling shoes were. You know, I just, so it's, it's empowering them with the knowledge. Um, helping them to understand how to surround themselves with support um, and, and, and bring people into their world who are going to support them and nourish them and not... And, and yes, sometimes you have to let people go that are not, that are not mm. enabling you to do that. Um, the doubters, the, the you can't, you can't. No, you can, you know. And it, it could be anything. They might want to write a book. They might want to... Be go to university and become something. They might, might want to not go to university. They might just want to go and get a job, any job. Um, it might be that they want to do something on the sporting in the sporting arena as a person with a disability or disadvantage. Um, I would like to focus on maybe people with with disability because obviously self doubt around that is a lot bigger than. And there's a lot of other people out there that can help able bodied people to reach their dreams. My niche will probably be to help people with vision impairment and disability in general to reach their dreams. So what I'm learning through all of this process I'm going through now is skills and tools and knowledge that I can then impart onto others. But, but also I want to teach people just to have self-belief. To first and foremost, before we start thinking of how we can help others, just get yourself good. I went from a really bad place um, to to working through so much to being in a really good place sitting here with you right now a really good place good in my head good in my body um where i i i i know that and i've got a lot of work to do as far as you know having things i can talk about in my achievements but i think already i've done enough to go well, I've, I've, I kind of have reached some, or, or ticked some pretty big boxes here. Um, I want to, there'll be, there'll be, people will still go, how, but how, how, how? This is where someone with disability in particular, as someone under the age of 65 who has, you know, maybe uh, has a, an NDIS package that has a lot of um, funding in it, in um, a couple of different types of budgets, which I, I won't go into, but that, Start using that creatively. Start using 
we are very blessed in this country to have a national disability insurance scheme that um, that enables us to live our best lives mm. and that's exactly their catchphrase is a bit different live an ordinary life I think it is but live your best life so without it and I will advocate it no there's people that are out there that will, will be the haters of it but I advocate without the NDIS I wouldn't be looking at that piece of equipment over there I wouldn't be able to have a, a, a you know the opportunity to fund a bike that is way beyond my expectations of pieces of equipment um, support workers that can get me around um, you know I've talked to Paralympians who weren't able to get to their training sessions the NDIS came along and I used to plan with them what do we need to get you to Homebush when you live at uh, Penrith we need a support worker that's all we need we need um, someone to be able to walk you down to the boat because she had no vision this particular um, you know down to the is that what they call them boats <laughs> I don't know. Um, and you know that sort of thing it was um, you know I, I there's just so many stories around that. So I want to, so there was a reason why I went to work to Vision Australia to learn all of that. Now I can use that as well. Um, so to, and if it's not about using their funding, it's just about just believing in themselves and, and, and just finding their gift. Everyone's got a gift. You have a gift, Rob, you know, I have a gift. There's others. Everyone's got a gift. Um, and I read something the other day, I'll try and quote it, um, that life will surprise you sometimes, but by putting you on the path you were meant to be on, you know. Um, this has taken me by surprise, don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, oh gosh, I feel like I've done all the talking. Uh, it's, it's captivating, Lily. I, I, I want to, like, what you just said then, I really hope people take that in and listen to it over and over. I want to go to your goals. Yeah. You shared them with me at Dan's 40th and I drove home inspired that you would set such lofty goals knowing yeah. that you'd only really started in January. Yeah. And I have to just say, you you have given a lot of credit to Jay and her ability and haven't talked about the hours that you've spent yeah. Yeah. Know, doing the work yourself. So yeah. I really want to honor that in yourself that, yeah, yeah well i um I do sometimes look at my my stats um i'm I, each time i do ever do any set um on the train or outdoor ride i i will look at the stats i'll look at the kilometers i did i'll look at you know the crucial stuff my heart rate and all that sort of stuff that the coach wants to know about but i i i think I looked at my stats for um i know there was one month i think it might have been may that I did 1,200 kilometers that month on the bike. Um, so far this month, I've done um, almost 700 on that um, kicker. Um, that's just on the trainer. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of hours, you know. Um, but now I, you know, I get out and ride with Excite as much as I can. I do the training rides with Jay. I, I, um, I, I, I keep my walks in every day, which are usually anywhere from seven to 10 kilometers. Um, you know, I paddleboard and uh, I do that for the pure joy of it. Um, but also from a fitness perspective, it's very good for you. Um, I, I, I have, you know, I've, I've sacrificed um, the way I used to eat. Uh, now I eat to fuel my body. Um, I, I, I do, I'm quite strict about um, my nutrition. Um, in fact, I'm very strict about my nutrition. Um, I've learned so much about recovery, um, race week and race day 
nutrition, how and what a difference that makes to performance. Like I, I'm learning, I'm constantly reading and listening to um, things about that. I, um, I, I was faced um, at the beginning of this year, in fact, the middle of last year with um, the opportunity to have, um, not the opportunity, but I was faced with redundancy from Vision Australia because they were restructuring um, the, um, the department I was working in. Um, and at the time, everyone was you know, quite angry. It wasn't just happening to mine department, but lots of others. And at the time, I went, wow, okay, no, this is where I need to be. I need to stay with this organisation. So I started um, looking at reassign roles because they didn't want to lose me. So I looked at roles, reassigned it. Nothing was working out for me. Nothing was working out for me. And I was like, what is this? I, I thought, you know, this is great. This one's going to work. And, you know, it didn't work out. And, you know, I gave it a shot. And No, I don't feel right in this role. There's something not right about this. And it wasn't until the beginning of this year when I revisited the redundancy and they put it back on the table. And I looked at it and I went, why is this happening to me? Because I'm thinking, I don't want to not work. You know, I have to work. It's what I do. It's happened for a reason. I took the redundancy. Mm. What the redundancy did was allow me 12 months of still being able to live how I was living, paying my rent, doing all the rest of it. And it was a huge sacrifice, it was a risk, but I did it. And I have no regrets because now I can train mm. and I can train and I can train and I can train. <laughs> and uh, and I um, and then, you know, we, but now I can look just outside the cycling as well because I've got time to swim now. So um, we're looking, well, we are going to do the challenge Aquabike in Canberra, Jay and I. Um, and if we um, do well there as a para duo, um, we could potentially make, represent Australia at, um, uh, at the, the World Champs in Townsville next year. Unbelievable. And again, would I have ever thought I'd be putting on green and gold potentially um, next year? Um, uh, no, I'd never thought that, but I do now. Now I visualise myself there. With Jay, now I see it. Now I see it very clearly. So um, I've got. When I say I've got work to do, this is the work. This is what I'm doing. But at the same time, a couple of things that uh, with the work and the, and the sweat and the tears. Sometimes there's tears and sometimes it's uh, you know the self doubt and all that sort of thing. But I've found myself now, probably just in the last maybe uh, last couple of weeks, perhaps three or four weeks, going. This just all feels very normal to me now and I'm enjoying it. So I never ever want to stop it being fun mm. and I never want to lose the fire in my belly. And as long as I've got those two things and I do the work, um, so you know, I have the dream and I have the belief and this is the achievement part, this is the work. Um, so, um, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of, uh, yeah, what I'm doing. I'm, I'm putting in a, a lot of hours um, so my day will sometimes look like get up at five, jump on the kicker, do my hour or hour and a half on that, whatever the coach is, puts in there and that amazing technology that talks to that, talks to that, and all of a sudden trainer road has, has got it's me fun. doing this crazy thing full of crazy efforts. Um, but that's okay, I've got to get through this. And then I use that mindset to go, okay, it's an hour of your life, Lil. It's an hour of your life and that's a three minute effort, get it done, then you get a rest. And then next and then next and then next and next. Um, make sure the music's great make sure you know I'm dancing around a little bit having a great time and I, I, I do so I turn those I actually look 
I can't believe this is coming out of my mouth, but I actually look forward to those sessions now. <laughs> <laughs> During the process. Um, the process, yeah. yeah. So And realising that instead of looking at the end game, it's just, just this is the process. Yeah. Ticking the boxes. The coach said to me, oh, you're ticking the boxes. Yeah. Um, enjoying the process. Um, and I am enjoying the process. So, so I might do the kicker and then um, I'll go for a swim, maybe 2,000 metres. Um, and I've got incredible, beautiful support people, Dave Lawrence, who picks me up and takes me to the pool. And then I meet others there and, and we swim together. And that's, you know, I can't be more grateful. How could I not be grateful for these people that are there to help me achieve my goals, you know? Um, and uh, so I try and swim two or three times a week and then I'll, I'll do the Excite ride as well. I walk at least seven, maybe 10 kilometers um, with my dogs. It's important I get them out. That's also good for my head. Um, and uh, I'll try and get a paddle in every week as well. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know how I could possibly have fit work in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, yeah, I just, I try and stay connected as well. So I guess another big thing for me around sport and exercise um, is a sense of community. Mm. It's a sense of community. It's connecting people. It's connecting people. As I said to you, when I arrived here, I knew no one. Mm. Now I can happily say I've got the most beautiful network of support people around me who are my friends. I don't want to call them support people. They are my friends um, who just happen to be most of them extraordinary athletes, yourself included. Um, and I feel so incredibly blessed to be sitting here talking to you yeah. right now about all of this. I can't even begin to tell you. <laughs> likewise. <laughs> I, Lily, so just... To summarise, you've got state champs coming up in two mm. weeks. You've got the goal for the aqua bike. Um, when is that? In November. In November. Yeah, yeah. You've got the platform, yeah. which is the big goal. Yeah, so. Beyond the door. So we, from, um, you know, obviously if we do um, the aqua bike and then qualify for nationals, that's August next year. But in prior to that, um, we have nationals on the bike as well. So that's that's the big one. That's, so, yeah, yeah, state and um, nationals, and that's where the talent coach. What, what was the yeah? So the the, the Paralympic so, talent coach yep. emailed me um, uh, when because I need to be classified at a um, uh, at a national. Well, I'm classified as a B three para athlete, mm-hmm. which is um, B three is uh, blind, um, and um, and there's one, two, and three. Through so one is totally blind, uh, two is some residual vision, three is. Uh, a little bit functional, pretty much. I sit between two and three, mm-hmm. but they classified me in three. So when I was take, um, going back and forth from the Paralympics, Paralympics Australia about my classification, he's been flagged, and he's sent me an, e- an email saying, "We'll be, we'll be, I'll be looking very closely at your time um, at uh, at state." Um, so that's why I'm working so hard at the moment. <laughs> um, so then, if we go to uh, nationals, which we, we probably will, we're then up against. at least two other tandem women teams will be up against our rivals which we've never done before amazing Um, so we'll see how good we are now we were on a training ride um, so I was told um, by um, someone in uh, uh, the Illawarra Cycling Club that the girls that won at Nationals last January in in uh, Ballarat um, in the time trial over 19 kilometres Averaged 35 kilometres an hour. 
So Jay and I did a simulation of our time trial last Thursday um, and there were hills in it um, as you can't escape them in Kayama and Jamboree. Um, and we, we had to do two 20 minute efforts um, and then um, we couldn't quite see what our averages were because we had to sort of stop and start the clock. Um, and when I got home, I, I did the sums and I put it into this little nifty calculator. And we were in that second effort, we were doing 35 kilometres an hour and we're doing them on hills. And I told Jay, it was like, ah! <laughs> so um, I remember when um, Dave actually was in the front yard with me when we came back um, and with Jay, and he's kind of doing the sums in his head, and he said, hold on, you were doing that over that over that. That's kind of 35, maybe more. And I'm jumping up and down like an idiot. And uh, we're like, oh. and then when I finally figured it, that we, in one of the, the efforts we were doing 33 kilometres down, the other were doing 35. I said, Jay, we were just doing, on not a flat course, what the girls were doing in Ballarat. So when you start to yeah. have those gains, mm. there's belief there, man. You know what? And it inspires you no end. It inspires you no end to go, maybe, just maybe, we've got something here. Um, so inspiring. <laughs> that, that am I good enough that you had at the start. I that... don't have that anymore. Wow. With the work. Yeah. If I continue to train the way I am yeah. with this cycling coach, you know, who's, you know, quite accomplished in racing and all that and uh, that sort of thing, you know, I've had an incredible base built up by Dan um, yeah. prior to that, um, who built my aerobic engine no end. Um, Huge kudos to Dan and, oh, the, and the work that you did with him. Yeah. Absolutely. So that was my start, really. Yeah. I mean, that was my first ever experience of working with a, you know, a training partner, a coach, mm. a, a mentor um, who motivated me beyond, beyond belief. So I, um, you know, uh, so much um, kudos, you know, for Dan and where he got me um, from a, a physical, in such a short period of time, yeah. in such a short period of time, he built this incredible base inside me. Um, you know, there'd be days where he'd be, I'd be sitting on that kicker, he'd be sitting there just like, you got this little, you got this little, and I'm pushing crazy power going, I can't, I'm dumb, I'm broken. He's like, you got this, you got this. You know, that, that speaks volumes, you know. So, um, and then to go, well, okay, thank you. Now let's bring a, a purely a cycling coach to, to now teach me how to race. Fantastic. So. Well, I'm, I'm like <laughs> jumping out of my skin in spite of <laughs> And uh, and you inspire me. <laughs> what you do inspires me no end. You know, I I am you know I have a connection because my nephew was a burns victim. So when I I, I see mm. what you do, I have a, a almost a um a, like a, a family almost personal connection to what you do and that selflessness in what you do. And I want to do that one day. I want to I want to do this not from I don't want to be on that platform for me. I want to be on that platform for them, for those people I can help. Yeah. And there is no monetary or other comparable reward to seeing someone succeed at when they didn't think they could. Wow. That's huge. I, I, and I, I can't wait for that wow. day. Yeah. I can't wait for that day. Mm. Um, you know, I, 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 if I could just quote one more thing that. Um, hits me in the heart every time I hear it. Um, and it's a quote by Nelson Mandela, and I hope I get it right. He said, there is no passion to be found in playing small and living a life that is less than the one you are capable of. 
<laughs> well, oh, what and a great... it hits me in the heart every time. What a great, isn't it? Beautiful way to sum up what we've spoken about today. Yeah. I do want to ask you: Is there anything else you want to say? To... Um, I, I guess I, you know, I, I'm. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Isn't that wasn't all good timing. <laughs> um, oh, oh, sorry. That's so funny. Oh, maybe we can edit that bit out. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, sh- oh, sorry. I should have muted all That's that. That's all right. Um, uh, you know, um, before I, I kind of get on, on that platform to, to speak to others, to inspire them, I hope that they gain something from my talk today because this is the first time I've really spoken very openly about my journey uh, and it is a journey um, I, I hope that I've, I've given some hope to to those with a, a disability disadvantage or, or maybe just someone that is not quite sure how do they go to the next step um, you know I, I, I hope that I've inspired them in some way um, I I'm, I am absolutely there for anyone that ever wants to speak to me about any of this stuff. Um, and even if it's just to be an ear, because I know um, when you are going through um, certainly vision impairment or, or other disability, but certain vision, I'll talk to vision impairment just because it's, it's, it's what I live, um, is that it can be tough. It can, it, it's tough. Your mind really does go to some dark places sometimes and I, I want them to just to, to live in, in hope that there is, they, ha- they will have something inside them, some sort of gift, whatever that is, um, that will enable them to live their really fulfilled life, you know, and, and if I can help them in any way to, 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 to achieve a dream, how little, uh, no matter how little or, or large, I'm, I will, would absolutely, that is my, what my purpose is, that's Beautiful. what I want to do. And you've been doing it all your life <laughs> and you're doing it right now. So with that, how can people follow you or Yeah, so um, I'm, um, they can, um, I'm Lily Piccolo on, on Facebook um, and also Instagram and I hopefully in the not too distant future will have a website and in that, on that website I hope to um, tell a little bit more about my story, my achievements, they can follow my journey, see where I'm going, so I can give updates on that. Um, I, I'm yet to do anything in that athlete. I can't even still believe I'm calling myself an athlete, um, but yeah, I'm, you well, know, you do a bit of an athlete, an athlete right? no <laughs> in that space. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, reach out to me, um, uh, even through you know the Kayama Triathlon Club yep. as well, um, um, which I'm part of now. Um, yeah, but um, I just. Yeah, if I can help anyone in any way, um, I, that's that's really my passion. It's it's what I want to do. You already are, yeah. and you already have. <laughs> so uh, we'll put all those links in the show notes so people yeah. can contact you. Oh. Thanks so thank much. You, I'm Rob. like on cloud nine after chatting <laughs> with you. So thanks so oh, much. Oh, sometimes I feel like I'm I'm speaking too much and not giving you a chance, but um. And I hope I spoke to mindset uh, a little. Um, I, I would like to, you know, I think that, that that is something that will stay with me and I know I've learned a lot from your um, uh, podcast, especially around positive self-talk. 
So uh, that, have, that is yeah. in my training every single day. You've got this, Lil. You've got this. This is one minute. All that sort of stuff. You know, um, this is one minute of your life. You're not going to get back. All that sort of stuff. You know, I, I, I have gained so much from that too. So, um, and hope to learn more and more about yeah. mindset. Great. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll be interviewing you again <laughs> to find out how you do it because you do the work. You're one that applies it and you do it. And yeah. So good. Oh, thank you so much, Rob. For, this has been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> the pleasure's been mine. I'm so excited. Thanks so much. Ah, oh, you're welcome. <laughs>